Amen. You may be seated. I need my boys and girls to come up here and help me just for a minute. Definitely going to be worth your time today, all right? Y'all want to come up here? Come on up here. Oh, man, look. So I know y'all are bummed out that you don't get to go downstairs today, but I'm going to try to make it up to you, all right? I'm going to try to make it up to you. All right, son, sit down here a second. Okay, so now I know that all these folks know what we're talking about today because they all got on red, white, and blue and their colors and different things of that nature. Come on, man. So I got something here in my pocket I need y'all to help me with. All right, what, what is this right here? Well, hold on, this is what? What is this, money? money. Yeah. Okay, all right, so what, what is, what's this money right here is what? A hundred dollar bill. Does anybody know who that is on the front of that? I understand. I'm glad you made it. Look, I was I've been there a lot in my life, okay? So what is that? So has any have any of you ever seen something where so where they talked about the Benjamins? Give me your parents ask your parents about the Benjamins, okay? That's Benjamin Franklin. He's on a hundred dollar bill, okay? Let's see right here. What what kind of money is this right here? No, that's a twenty. You know your numbers. That's a twenty dollar bill. And that right there is Andrew Jackson, okay? This one here, does anybody know what dollar what dollar is that? $10 bill, okay. All right, now this is more my kind of money we're getting down to here now, all right. So this guy here, his name is Alexander Hamilton on the $10 bill. What about this? How big is that, Lou? That's Abraham Lincoln. He knows who it is on a $5 bill. And then everybody ought to get this one. This is more my style right here. A $1 bill, okay. George Washington. Okay, all right. So so this is money, and you use it to buy stuff, right? It's, it's, a, it's called legal tender in the, in the United States. Now, hold on. I need y'all to help me. I, I think I got something right here. Let me see how many I got. How many people we got here? Oh, hold on. Hold on. I do actually have one. I need everybody to take a dollar. Okay? Now, hold on. No comments out there, what we're doing here. Hey, some $1 bills. Pass them around the crowd. Okay. All right, here we go. So, hold on. Everybody needs a little dollar. Here we go. But hold on, we're going to do something with it. I need you to help me in a minute, okay? Easy. All right, here we go. Oh, here we go, even right here. She needs she needs a dollar too. Okay, now what I want you to do is take that dollar and I want you to turn it to the back side, okay? There's a lot of things on there. It's got all sort of symbols, right? Things like that. Look at the top right that says the United States of America, our country, which we celebrate, we're celebrating today because of Independence Day. But really important, I want you to look at something with me and help our parents, all of our grandparents and everybody look. Look under that United States of America. There's four words there. Could somebody who knows how to read, read that? Brady, could you read real loud for me so everybody can hear? What does that say? In God we trust. Oh, they probably just put that on a $1 bill, huh? Let's see here. Hold on, wait a minute. Let's make sure. Uh-oh, let's see. We know it's on a one. Is that on the back of the $5 bill? No. It's not? What does that say? In, uh, yeah. In, oh, it's on a $5 bill too? Let's see here. Maybe, maybe it's just the little bills because we only trust God when it's little, all right? But what about on this one? Yeah. In God we trust for the 10? Hold on. A 20 says what? In God we trust. And even on the $100 bill, all that money right there, what does it say right there on the In back? In God thing? we trust. In God we trust. Listen, when the country was founded, founding fathers and many of the people who lived here realized that the important thing that we found this country on is God. And so I want every one of you to have this dollar. And I want you to remember that when you got this dollar, that no matter what you hear, because there's lots of opinions out there, and I'm going to give you some good information today, 
But all you got to do is flip the money over, no matter what size it is, and you can realize who we place our faith and trust in, okay? It's in God. That's how our nation is formed. We're going to talk about how that is so important today. Won't you bow with me, and then we're going to go back and talk for just a minute, okay? Let's pray. God, help us in our country, these boys and girls, all of us as adults, to follow along with what's on our money, to place our faith and trust in you, whether it's a little or it's a lot. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think there are some packets, right, Brother Todd? If you want a packet, there's something you can color, and it's got a bunch of stuff that's related to uh, to today, 4th of July. So y'all can head back to your seat. Miss Jasmine has some of those if you want to get it. Now, look, I may not be able to make them want to stay in here, but I can at least give them a dollar, right? So, uh, you know, so that maybe next time. All right. But there's a powerful powerful lesson to be learned when we look at how this country was founded. Now, it's going to be a little different today because I want to talk a little bit about some history, but we're gathered, go back one slide, to to celebrate Independence Day, July 4th. And typically, there's fireworks and there's barbecues and there's get-togethers and there's the celebratory attitude that's going on in our country as we celebrate our independence. Now, unfortunately, it seems that many people today have forgotten some of our history. There seems to be a battle in the educational system and amongst a lot of different folks about what we're teaching, how we're teaching, and we want to we honor history. We want to look at it. We don't want to sugarcoat it. We certainly want to be truthful. We want to look at everything, but we also don't want to back down from it nor be ashamed of the founding of this great country. On Independence Day, we technically are celebrating a specific event. It kind of is all-encompassing our patriotism, our love of country, but it signifies the remembrance of a specific event, which is what? The signing of a document called the Declaration of Independence, signed um, by these folks who were at this convention. Some of you may or may not know some very interesting reading. It was drafted by primarily by one person, but edited by what's called a committee of five, many of those names that you know, and their preamble to the Declaration of Independence. If you were forced to raise, remember that or memorize that in school as a young person, I'd like for you to raise your hand. If you notice, most of the old, it's, it's most of us who are a little older. Why in God's name that's not required in today's educational system is beyond me, but it's the founding of this country. Even if you didn't agree with it, it certainly would be um, of note. But I want to read with you this. If you go to the next slide, please, Dave. The first part of the Declaration of Independence, because this is what we are celebrating on Independence Day. They write, When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to such separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." Very, very powerful words penned by very intelligent, thought-out individuals. 
written over a course of several days that illustrate a number of things. And we don't have time to go into that, but one of the things that you may not have ever thought about is really the humility and the, the gravity with which they approach this. Look at that line there where it says, um, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to such a decision. They felt the need that it was important to explain clearly why they were doing what they were doing. And the foundation for it was what? They felt that the government that they had was no longer allowing people to live out the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that they felt were endowed by their Creator. You know, these men were varied in their beliefs, okay? We tend to gravitate and think about things in a black and white way, and this is not helpful, okay? The men who founded this country were very different in their religious perspectives to some degree, denominationally, what they thought. They were people just like you and I, different, from different states, different regions, different churches, different things. Some were more committed to Christianity, while others were not necessarily Christian. Some were more theistic or deistic. But much has been made, too much has been made of this, and I want to show you that today, is the foundation of this country, without a doubt, was formed on the basis of a Judeo-Christian ethic. And you're going to see the importance that the founders placed upon this ethic, this idea of virtue and morality as we look. And they believed almost to a man in the reality that we find in Psalms chapter 33, verses 12, where it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. Psalms 33, 12. I believe that was true then, and I believe it is true today. This is from the psalmist who was not necessarily a Christian, he was a Jewish person, but he embraced the Judeo-Christian ethic. Ultimately, Christianity flows out of this idea that God is the Lord. In our world today, we see multiple instances where there is not a lot of blessing and there's not a lot of people who seem to be choosing God. And this is disheartening. This is leading to lots of corruption, lots of failures on multiple levels. And as Christians, as part of our patriotic duty, as our duty to not only our fellow man, but to this land, we should be champions for telling people the truth about what's important, the truth about how to make not only a nation great, but a people great. And this is something that is helpful if we look back at what took place. I think about Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, passage that we've read oftentimes in our morning devotional. It says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Certainly in this world today, in the United States of America, there is at the very minimum confusion about what righteousness is. And we see many people who are championing sinfulness, 
bad behavior, wrong behavior. And now beyond that, we're actually to the point where now we want to champion anyone, um, champion anyone who says there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, with whoever you want, in all levels. And as a result, we have many, many struggles. This is not how the nation was founded and certainly not how we will prosper. Some have sought to redefine American history by pointing to certain things and coming up with different sorts of theories and ideas. I want to share with you some quotes. Boys and girls, many of the people I'm going to quote today that will be on the screen are on the picture of the money. And I'm not just going to pick a few randoms. I'm going to give you quite a few. And these are just a few of many because there is a battle raging in the world of education for really the heart and soul of this country. People who want to deny the founding principles of God and righteousness and those types of things. And I don't want any of us to be misled to the importance of righteousness and virtue and how important it was to the founding fathers of this nation. We want to look at that here today. The first quote is from George Washington. I want to read it to you. He says, Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim tribute to patriotism who should later subvert these great pillars of human happiness. The firmest props of the duties of men and citizens, reason and experience, both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles. James Madison wrote, To suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any virtue in the people is a chimerical or imaginary idea. Thomas Jefferson, who's often misquoted, often misaligned in history, wrote, no government can continue good but under the control of the people and their minds are to be informed by education of what is right and what is wrong, to be encouraged in habits of virtue and to be deterred from those of vice. These are the inculcations necessary to render the people a sure basis for the structure and order of government. Samuel Adams, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt. He, therefore, is the truest friend of the liberty of his country who tries most to promote its virtue. Alexander Hamilton, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. That's troubling when you think about it. John Adams, liberty can no more exist without virtue and independence than the body can live and move without a soul. Patrick Henry, virtue, morality, and religion. This is the armor, my friend, and this alone that renders us invincible. These are the tactics we should study. If we lose these, we are conquered, fallen indeed. So long as our manners and principles remain sound, there is no danger. And Ben Franklin, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. You can go through and read the writings of our founding fathers on multiple levels, and you can see that they were very steeped in the idea that for this great country, 
to survive, to thrive, to continue to be what they envisioned it could be. That the foundation for this was a strong sense of virtue and morality based on the Judeo-Christian ethic. One of the things we must be careful of, sometimes in our zeal to promote the United States as a Christian nation, we might get a little off track. It was in all fairness, intellectual fairness. All of the founders were not devoted and dedicated to starting a Christian nation. That is just not 100% accurate. But they were devoted to starting a nation that had religious freedom. Most were informed by their Christian faith and all felt that the Judeo-Christian ethic was the basis for creating a country like this one. When you look at our land today, which is vastly different, and this is part of life, like there was a few million people then, now we have 340 million people. It's very diverse. It's, it's a compilation of lots of different cultures and different things. But if we are to survive and to continue on, I believe that we must call back our nation to embrace our roots, what we were founded upon, the belief in righteousness, the belief in virtue that starts with us. You see, one of the challenges about virtue is that we all want other people to be virtuous. And we can very clearly see the instances of their lack of virtue, but it starts with us as we become virtuous and we look at how do we do what is right, be who we should be. You know, this idea of virtue, righteousness. You know, one of the founders who sometimes gets a very bad rap because as a young man, he wrote some things where he leaned more towards deism and wrote a few things that were a little bit critical of the Bible and of, of things of that nature. And this should not surprise us because people are always growing, learning, changing, moving. But that particular founder was Benjamin Franklin. But I want to um, read to you something from his autobiography. I put it on the screen. This is just a little caption. But he wrote in his autobiography, spent more time on what he called the 13 virtues than anything else in his entire autobiography. And I want you young people, parents, I'm sure that I had seen this before, but he writes, Benjamin Franklin was not only a great politician, a great founding father, he was an inventor, a very remarkable individual by any measurement, okay? And he talks about the importance of these 13 virtues and how these were the framework for his life and how, if you read his autobiography, he, he took one of them and every week he focused on one of these virtues. Not to the exclusion of the others, but he really focused on one of these virtues. And I want you to, to just listen to these, what they are. And it might be something for you and I to consider. Number one, temperance. Eat not to dullness, meaning don't get... Don't be a glutton and drink not to elevation, which is get drunk. So one of the virtues is temperance. Number two, silence. Speak not but what may, be, may benefit others or yourself. Avoid 
trifling conversations. You know that you notice there's lots of Bible verses, things like that that go along with that. If you read, if you look, think about it, number three, order. Let all your things have their place. Holy smokes, I, I wanted to skip this one so bad. Let all your things have their place. Let each part of your business have its own time. And if you actually read about that, he, he talks about how you want to be orderly and you want to prioritize and you want to take care of business. Number four, resolution. Resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. You know, in this world today, how many people don't have resolve? They just can't follow through. They can't do what they're supposed to do. And even when they say they're going to do it, they just can't follow through. Man, I want you to think about all of these things. In this country today, look at the problems. Let's just look at those first four temperance. How many people are in trouble because they eat too much? Ugh. You know, we're killing ourselves. We're killing every, you know, we're, ki we're, we're causing all sorts of problems on, on society because we can't control what we eat. How many people are drinking too much and as a result are becoming alcoholics, causing all kinds of other problems? Think about that virtue, how it would make this land better. Silence, holy smokes. What if more people just listened more? They didn't do what? They didn't get involved in trifling conversations and they only said what was to the benefit of others. You know, maybe what Grandma said was, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Maybe there was something to that. It's hard, isn't it? Order. Are things out of order, man? Unbelievable. Number five, look at this virtue. Frugality. Make no expense but to do good to others or yourself. Waste nothing. Wow. You think we're out of whack there? We're spending money on everything that nobody needs. The government's giving everybody money that they don't even need, which leads me to a little caveat here that I would like to let you know about. So, we received in the mail a few weeks ago, my daughter, a card, a Louisiana purchase card, which is basically a way for folks who are in need to get food. I think, it's a, I think there's some wonderful benefits to a program like that. We didn't request the card. We received the card because my daughter was part of a virtual program at school. And so the government felt like it was important, I guess, because we could have possibly needed some money to pay for the groceries, which we didn't, to send us 85-something dollars a month on the card, which goes retroactive back. So now there's a card there that we can go, and we go sign the PIN number up, and, you know, we got nine months of school at 80-something dollars a month, $720 or something like that. So she can go, if I let her go buy Doritos or whatever else. And if you were at a total virtual school, it was like $120-something a month that you get. Now, I'd love to talk with anybody about the merits of this particular program, but my point here is this, twofold. Number one, if you received one of those assistance cards and you don't feel that you need it, if you'll get with me, I'm going to work towards talk with Todd about this. We're going to take our cards and those who want to do that, and we're going to encourage us to go to the food, go to go buy the food, and then we're going to bring that all here and take it to the food bank because that's so the folks they can distribute it to those who really need it. So, I, number one, 
if you received that in the mail and you had a student who was virtual and you want to do that, or if you're watching this online and you want to do it, contact us. And this is what we're going to try to do to try to, you know, do right by this particular uh, assistance. But it does prove a point that, the, the, that people in general, the government, everybody is not operating in a frugal way. They're just sending money out to anybody for anything without any real measurement of need. And it's so easy for all of us or any of us to, to blame the government. But the truth is, most of us are always willing to take it when we get it. And here's the problem. If we're always willing to take everything that we get, we can't complain and rail about the system that's always doing the giving. We have to operate in such a way. Now, don't hear me say that I am against government because I'm not. I believe government has a role. I just find that oftentimes without the virtue of those in government, there's lots of wastefulness and no real good way to practice frugality. It's a challenge in this world where it's all about what I get. But it's a virtue that seems to be lost. Number six, industry. Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. You're not really... God did a little bit on my mind about this. I mean, do you, do you waste time on things that are unimportant? Now, I'm not saying that you don't have downtime or that you don't relax and all that kind of stuff. But have you ever noticed the, that when you waste time, it's, it, it's easier to waste more time? Like if you don't do something productive, it's easier to become more unproductive. It's, it's almost like it grows on you. Benjamin Franklin knew that, and the virtue is to remain industrious. Number seven, sincerity. Use no hope for hurtful deceit. Think innocently and justly, and if you speak, speak accordingly. Number eight, a virtue of justice. Wrong none by doing injury or omitting the benefits that are your duty. Number nine, moderation. Avoid extremes. Forbear resenting injuries so much as you think they deserve. Man, have you noticed in the political world, what if everybody just practiced a little bit of moderation? We always want to take the worst of what everybody says, the worst of what they've done, and we just kind of jump on that. We want to look at our enemies and our opposition, and we want to pull out the worst of them, but at the same time, we want them to see the best of us. This is the value of moderation, is that we need to just pause and we need to think about different things. In our own life, practice moderation, avoid extremes. Do you have your tendency to gravitate towards extreme behavior, extreme thoughts? Are you able to moderate yourself? It's a virtue he talks about. Number 10, oh my gosh, I hate to say this one. Cleanliness. Tolerate no uncleanness in body, clothes, or habitation. You know, this is a virtue that's challenging, right? He said, you know, take care of your stuff. Be clean. Be dressed proper. Do, do take care of all the things that you've got. Tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles or at accidents, common or unavoidable. Number 12, chastity. Rarely use venery, which is sexual activity, but for health or offspring, never to dullness, weakness, or the injury of your own or another's peace or reputation. Number 13, humility. He writes, imitate Jesus and Socrates. So, now, why do I read these? Twofold. Number one, I think they could be helpful. They have been to me to think a little bit about some of the virtues of one of our prominent founding fathers. But the other thing is I want to really drive home the point that the people who founded this nation believed very strongly in righteousness. 
and virtuous living in doing the right things. You know, I spoke earlier about how sometimes Benjamin Franklin in the writings gets a little bit of a bad rap because he has some writings, like I said, that are not even friendly in some level to Christianity in his early life. But like many of us, as he grows, as he gets older, as more of life comes his way, he had something of a shift. And I want to read to you this prayer that comes. It's not a prayer. It's, I guess it's, a, it's an address that Benjamin Franklin makes to the Constitutional Convention in 1787. Why, why, do I, why do I read this to you? Well, upon the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War, the country over a period of a few decades is in the process of being founded. And like I said earlier, there's, there's multiple people from multiple places trying to come together and figure out how to institute this new form of government. And the basis for it is, this, is the Judeo-Christian ethic of virtuous, righteous living that many have lost sight of today and who are not aspiring to that. And so after the Revolutionary War, now they've actually achieved freedom, but they're at a position, well, how do we figure out how to hold on to this freedom, how to move on to the next step. And in some ways, this is our reality. The world is very diverse. The United States is, is a hodgepodge of many ways of thinking. But if we're going to hold to this republic, I believe that what we see in what Benjamin Franklin says before his colleagues who were at something of an impasse at the Constitutional Convention. I want you to hear these words because this will solidify, I believe, the fact that Benjamin Franklin and these founding fathers held to the fact that righteousness and a call to invite God to a part of what we're doing was critical. He writes, in this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, we were sensible of danger. We had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us were engaged in the struggle, must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need His assistance. I contend today, friends, that many in our nation have forgotten the powerful friend of the United States of America, the God of this universe, revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Listen to the second part of Benjamin Franklin's address to these very important people at the Constitutional Convention. He says, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God 
governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our local little partial interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate that service. You see, Benjamin Franklin understood that God governs the affairs of men. God's hand of sovereignty is working through human history, through the course of human events. And He did so in a miraculous way upon the founding of this great nation. But just as in Benjamin Franklin's day, oftentimes it's easy to forget the hand of providence that leads us to the place that He would have us go. And we as believers are called in similar ways as He did these men to pray. I'm reminded of the verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You may remember. It ought to a geopolitical context with the people of Israel. And he said, the prophet, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, on Independence Day, where we celebrate the founding of this great nation. Recipients of blessings that many throughout human history in this world have never known. Many are still trying their dead level best to get here. Risking everything to get here because of the greatness of this country. We must confess that not all is as it should be. But we do not need to be discouraged because if you look in the mirror, you will remember that not all is as it should be there. But with prayer and repentance and turning from wicked ways, you can do what? You can allow God to come into your own personal life and you can become more of who He wants you to be. The same thing can happen in a nation. As individuals embrace God, embrace the virtues that are taught to us through the Scriptures. And we stand up against unrighteousness. You see, we have to learn that we can't allow unrighteousness to have free reign. In 
truth we stand against unrighteousness and virtuousness by starting with how we live and how we act and how we treat others. A number of years ago, I heard a song. I think Oliver and them are going to come sing it. It was sung by a country band. I don't, I'm not even sure who really wrote it. But it's, in God we still trust. You see, on that money, it says, in God we trust. I hope that today, whether you're here, whether you're watching this, that you would look to the reality of our founding as a nation. Celebrate on July 4th. And you could say, you know what? I want to do my part to make in God we trust a reality in this nation. I may not be able to fix problems over there, wherever there may be, but I can fix the problems that are happening right here in the world that I'm dealing with. And when I'm called upon to participate with others to enact bigger change, I step up to the challenge and I rise to that occasion.